Romans chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me there. As we continue on in our series, October is the, is the rough goal, rough goal to be done, because that'll be two years since we have been in the book of Romans. <clears throat> I love to see the little ones. Our church is blessed. I figured it out. Sit on that side of the church and there's babies somehow. I don't know how they come, but, but it happens by sitting over on that side of the church. I do have the wonderful privilege of announcing, yes, there's more. Sadie Ann Dixon arrived this week. I forget the day, the time, and I don't know how much she weighs, but she's doing fine. Justin and Ann Congratulations. And also, I know that there's grandparents and great-grandparents here as well. Also extended, Parker Lee Buckwalter was born recently as well. I don't know how big he is. I did see a picture of him. He's a good-looking boy. Nothing like his (coughs) family. Dan. Uh, it's it's Portuguese. What do you, what do you anyway? Dan is a Portuguese pop up now. Okay, <clears throat> welcome. We um we stand before the word, and I want to remind you that this is not my word. Okay, my my job is just to get you this word as clearly as I can, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to hearts. I want you to. Buckle your seatbelts because this is a word that we as a faithful church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ must hold on to. This is, this is a message, and, and Robbie did a wonderful job last week at introducing it uh, to us, and, and I was away for a week, uh, family reunion, and, and Robbie wanted to, what, remove the electric guitar and bring in the harpist and change the time of service and change the color of the carpet, right? No, we know that. But we talk about the fact that we all have personal preferences. We live with opinions, and we can stretch them even to the place that we have strong convictions. And a personal conviction that we have all of a sudden must be pushed or forced on other people. And if you don't believe like I do, then what happens? There's, there's destruction that comes. We need to be careful here. It's not, the, it's not the opinion itself. It's not the object. It's the attitude behind it. So what I want to pause on this morning is asking a question, how do we get the right attitude? How do we, how do we learn to think right about important subjects. Yes, there are necessary denominational differences and doctrinal distinctives and even personal opinions and preferences. But if we ever dare stretch them as one being more spiritual than the other, it says in the Word of God we cause a stumbling block. We are not. We are not to cast judgment just as we are uniquely gifted we are uniquely opinioned and today we're going to build upon verses one through four i'll read verses five and onward in a moment as we learn how best how how best 
to think and to live and to serve and to love one another for the cause of Christ and the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that we are all unique, we're all different, we're all distinct from one another. Let me, let me, let me pray before we read the text before us this morning. Let's bow our heads together. <clears throat> Father, we're just, we're humbled first and foremost that you allow us, you've granted us in your grace and your mercies just another day together. We thank you already for the time that we've had to listen to your word being read and to lift up our voices in response to express our adoration. We thank you, Lord, for the little ones. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel that this church has been founded upon. And we thank you, Lord, for the presence of your spirit that speaks to each one of us, that knows us. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us and set us apart in a very unique, in all honesty, a difficult day. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us wisdom from above, patience and love and grace toward one another. But it says in your word that if we have ears, then we are to hear. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear from you this morning. Please grant me clarity of, of thought, of mind, and of speech. May everything, every word be spoken be for your glory. May we, may we leave your house later this morning knowing that you have spoken and that we have work to do as we strive to follow you submit to you and love you just as you've loved us. Bless us, we ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Romans chapter 14, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The words be in front of you, beginning in verse 5, the word of the Lord. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he, give thanks, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For, for none of us, none of us, lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the living, of the dead, and of the living. Why? Do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us, will give an account of himself to God. Now, two things that we keep in mind as we proceed. First and foremost, this is connected to verses 1 through 4. 
Okay, it's all one thought that the author is making. It's all one idea that he is striving to communicate. The other thing we must keep in mind is what we have to keep it connected to the big idea, which is actually expressed in the earlier verses, in verses 1 through 4. It says what? As for the one who is weak in their faith, welcome him. Or you could say, welcome her. Addressing the importance of what? This is what we have to hold on to. That the mature believer, the stronger believer, is always, is always to be caring for, to be looking out for, the newer, younger, weaker believer. Now, why is this important? Because it's very easy for us to let non-essentials become essential. That was certainly the case with the Jews and Gentiles that were worshiping together in the church of Rome. When he came to the subject of food, we addressed last week. And it's also the case for today. It is no secret. Look around and listen to the senseless and the silliness that abounds even within the context of the local church. Author and former CEO of Lifeway, Tom Rayner, did a study on church health and, and offered certain surveys as far as conflicts that existed. He actually came up with a list, and it's too long for me to, to read to you in its entirety. But he gave some of the, the top reasons and, and arguments, like differences, opinions, preferences that took place within the context of the local church that caused problems or division. Listen to some of them. Arguments over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. No, 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 that's just too long. Clearly that's unbiblical. A fight over whether or not to build a children's playground outside or to use the land for a cemetery. Rainer adds, I'm I'm dying to know what the resolution is on that one. Um, A church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. I'm all for removing all clocks in all worship centers. A fight over which picture of Jesus to actually hang or to put in the foyer. And Rainer adds, I just want to know who took the pictures. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service or not. A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cranberry grape juice instead of just grape juice. Business meetings, arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve that. Rainer says, I think that one's just a little wacky from the get-go. There's, there's no limit to this. And I won't pause on this or exist, but I think it's because of the poison, and I use that word intentionally, the poison of expressive individualism that is so pervasive that individual preferences rule. Worship style, type of music, instruments allowed, styles, how you dress, what you drink, where, you, where, you, where your kids are educated. But really, what we have to focus on is this. What is needed is a sensitivity to the spiritual growth and the maturity of others so as not 
to offend them. The question is, how do we get there? That, that's seeking the right attitude behind the opinion. A couple key ideas, I want you to remember two of them. We are to keep our opinions and convictions, number one, knowing this. The Lord rules over each person and every preference. This is how we get to the right attitude. We have got to hold on to the fact that the Lord is sovereign. He rules. It's his call. The author begins with another subject. Another example. Just as the eating of some foods were acceptable and some are not. That was the reference to to what? Pork, bacon, shrimp, or scallops wrapped in bacon dipped in warmed butter with a little bit of old bay yeah that is totally sinful what he does is he uses another example here and he begins with what day of the week is appropriate to honor god or esteem the lord and obviously that's the sabbath argument so paul is basically teaching that all of these things are to be secondary the reason that they're secondary is that what? Every single person that's here this morning is on a different place in their spiritual journey. And if someone is not what? In full agreement with every single conviction or preference or opinion that you have, then there's great danger. There can even be greater damage with the way that we care for one another, with a lack of gentleness, a lack of concern and love and sadly even a cruelness there can be a cruelness because people don't align thus what happens the enemy loves this stuff friction differences factions division the disruption of one spiritual journey how many people that's it i've heard too much i'm out and, and what a, a person is responsible for disrupting someone else's spiritual journey. And what is the worst? Disunity that exists within the body of Christ. I love how Donald Gray Barnhouse says, The apostle, as a wise physician, prescribes proper remedies for this disease. So, so what does he do? The overarching message is very simple. The overarching message is clear. What does it say in the latter part of verse 6? We are to live in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. So rather than getting caught up in the minutia of a thousand possible situations and scenarios that could potentially pull us all apart, what does the Apostle Paul do? What is he? he? He takes our faces... Okay, and he raises them up to, to what and to where and to whom we should focus. Hear it very clearly. See it clearly. What, what does he say? He says this, we live to the Lord. We die to the Lord. He says we are The Lord's Christ died and lived that he might be Lord of both living and the dead. The repetition here, the word Lord, is intentional. This is what I call stewardship 
language. Whenever you hear references to you belonging to the Lord, this is a stewardship language. Whenever we consider stewardship language, we must see really what's behind that. It's a submission issue. It's a lordship issue. If you were to pan back even further, it is a fear of God issue. Now, yes, we are certainly most free to, to choose to live your life however you want to live it. And yes, we know that choices abound. But this, but this is where most of you are going to get rattled. Especially in the fact that we live in a world that says whatever you want to do in order to make yourself happy. This is the stuff that rattles us. This is what we need to hear this morning. You are not the final authority. You are not the final authority. There is only one who is. There is only one judge. And it's not you. Now you know why you need to be reminded of that? You know why I need to be reminded of that? Because what? Because my name is Tim. And my preferred pronoun is I and me. And if you are honest with yourself, that is the exact same preferred pronoun by 7.7 billion people in the world today. That's the issue of where all this stuff comes from. We live in an egocentric rather than a theocentric world. Rather, we are to live what? We are to live, Scripture is very clear, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Think about this for a moment. When we live and we breathe, you wake up and you take a step. You walk and you talk and you serve and you give and you minister and you sacrifice, you care and you love with the Lord in view. We just heard the word repeated five times. The Lord in view first and foremost. Guess what happens? Other people's personal preferences, their likes and their dislikes, as they should, they kind of fade to black. They kind of, what, disappear in the background. I have not been shy. I seek to be, what, transparent. People know me well, and I have personal preferences. So much that people close to me would say that I could even be titled or labeled as high maintenance. Therefore, when I watch, when I, when I see something, when I, when I hear something that is different than the way I personally would choose to do it, it is very, very easy for me to think, what in the world? Why would they ever do that? How dare they? Who takes an entire steak on your plate and cut the entire thing up into little tiny pieces before you eat it? You're supposed to what? Cut one thin slice at a time and then eat it. Steak eating lesson book 101. We all know that. Why are you cutting this thing up? How dare you? 
You know, you, you can be assured of this. I'm just, I'm just, you're just hearing too much this morning, sorry. Give me a week off. <laughs> you can be assured that, that my irritations, my frustrations increase tenfold when I'm not sensitive to the Lord. Galatians <clears throat> chapter 5 says this, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. There's a responsibility. Which means what? All of that, it's not a them issue. It's a me issue. Think, think about this. When I'm not in the Word first, when I'm not listening to the Lord speak to me and, and teach me and, and, and guide me and lead me, convict me, through his word. When I am not spending time in prayer expressing just my, my, my heart's outpouring adoration for the goodness and the greatness of the Lord. When I am not, what? Confessing my sins before the Lord. When I am not, what? In thanksgiving to the Lord or not praying for the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's when glaring problems arise therefore i must and i would i would beg to say we must keep the lord in full view and let nothing block it very first right on the top of the list of the list it says you are to have no other gods before me you see, when, when we all do that, not, not just me, but when we all commit to do that, what does that do? It, it draws us, it, it cinches us close, tight, together. The amazing chapter, I don't have the time to read it all, but Ephesians chapter 4, one of the leading texts in all of Scripture that speaks about what being cinched together in unity. This is what Paul speaks of, What? I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit just as you were called one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You understand where the focus is to be. That's what Paul's saying to the church at Ephesus as well as to the church in Rome. Living or dead. It is to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. See him. Don't see others first. Hear him. Seek to know him. His character. His attributes, it is endless. His word, his promises, his plan. We are to constantly seek and diligently deepen our understanding of God. Simply what? Enjoying, allowing what? His goodness and his grace to soak us. And when that happens, it leaves little room. When, when our focus is on him, it leaves little room 
for us. The psalmist, the psalmist had it totally right when he uses language like thirsting after. Jesus was what? Bang on. He speaks well with language like what? Hungering after. I was reading just this week, Eric Raymond, and he says, in the mansion of God's character, every room is bright light. He has his finite creatures. We have, we have trouble getting our arms around absolute knowledge. Even with the places or subjects that we are most familiar with. We often kick over another rock to discover something new. This is not the case with God. He, he knows everything and everyone perfectly. He is the infinite God. His knowledge is complete. He is never learning or growing. Instead, he is utterly sufficient in his absolute and infinite perfection. You, you see where our focus, you see what the Apostle Paul is doing? And he's gently grabbing us by the face and he says what? Look up to see him. Focus on the Lord first and my silly preferences quickly fade away. Focus on the Lord first and you know what happens? My brothers and my sisters kind of quirky differences actually become unique trademarks for every single one of us. We do also understand that there are cases where you run into the individual who just wants to constantly push their, 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 their preference. We know that there's individuals who just want to press and force to prove how they are right and you are wrong. Everyone else is wrong. Thankfully, thankfully, there is very clear instruction for that. And I am, and I am grateful for that. I, I have personally a love for the pastoral epistles. I always have 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. And I, I, I have spent just this week, I don't know how I got there, but I just spent this week in the book of Titus and just reading it over and reading it over. Humbling, humbling qualifications. And, and I love Paul's bluntness as he, what, as he guides and he offers wisdom to another pastor. And he says, and he says, teach this. Teach this. What do we do with that individual who, who won't let the opinion die? Who is pushing their preference constantly? How do we handle that? Titus chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Paul doesn't beat around the bush here. He says this, but avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And then he, then he even, he, he in a sense, sticks the knife in, and then he kind of twists it. He says, as for the person who stirs up divisions, after warning him once, warn him once, and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Whoa. So tell us, Paul, how you really think. Yeah, that person who will not leave that preference alone. According to what we see in Scripture, I'm sorry, the Spirit-led word here is they're just warped. That's exactly, that's exactly... How we have to view, in a sense, some of the 
the strife that exists within churches. Now, we are, we are, we are able to do this knowing, number two, that the Lord will judge each person in every word. So we know, first and foremost, that the Lord rules over each person in every preference. Secondly, and finally, the Lord judges each person in every word. Now, rather than <gasps> tighten up, what I would say, just begin, rest in that. You don't, you don't have to fear, as a faithful follower of Jesus, you're striving. Rest! As we draw our attention upward to the Lord, His sovereign rule, His beauty, His character, His attributes, and we begin to list them, and they know we can never, ever miss His justice. God is perfectly fair and perfectly just as much as he is perfectly loving. There are many, many references to the fact that God is impartial, okay? He doesn't have favorites. Shows no partiality, Romans chapter 2, 11, Colossians 3, 25, Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. I, I love this one in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. This is, this is someone who knew about the impartiality. In Acts chapter 10, opening his mouth, Peter said, now that's a rare that's a rare thing in Scripture. Opening his mouth, Peter said, quote, I most certainly understand now that God is not to show partiality. I love that. Why? Because of Peter's past, his history. The psalmist says in Psalm 62, verse 12, And loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. I love that. I love how God does not measure according to our past mistakes. God does not measure according to our stupid decisions. God does not measure according to our silly preferences. Rather, God sees us through the lens of of the gospel. We will stand before him based what? Solely on our faith in the finished work of Jesus. Think of this. His righteousness has been imputed to us through his atoning sacrifice on the cross. And then the ultimate exclamation point to that is actually allowing us to live obediently in that faith because of what happened in the tomb. For to this end, Christ died. And I love this connector. End. He lives again. He, he didn't stay dead. And he lives again in verse 9. When we claim what? We claim the crucifixion and the resurrection as the only means of our hope. There is little focus on ourselves. Why? Because it's not our work. It's his work. It's all his work. Our justification is, is by faith in his work alone. That takes us to the entire theme of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. That continues to surface. That's the beauty of the gospel message. Each of us, each one of you, created in his image, uniquely designed and crafted. Beautiful. Precious. Yet all creation, everything was fractured in the fall. And today we see and we suffer the consequences of, Constantly. 
the brokenness. Just, 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 just recently talking with people and hearing of the hurt that they have received as a result of other people's sin. The brokenness of lives, the brokenness of homes, the brokenness of marriages. Sadly, we look around and even what brokenness of churches, the division and the strife, where it's no surprise we hear it and we see it every single day. Consequences of the fall. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, now even knowing and enjoying Resting in his work, the sufficiency. Enjoying the freedom of God's grace and, and even what? Resting in promised forgiveness. We, we, can't, we can't get around that last verse where it says that all of us still will give account. How about, how about did you catch it? How about Paul's tactic here in the form of a question? Brilliant. Paul asked this question, he goes, why, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why, why do you? It's, it's almost as if he is saying, excuse me, why would you stand in the middle of a train track if there's a freight train hidden, heading right for you? He's just gracious. It's an amazing tactic here. This is a healthy and a necessary reminder to what? To not speak too quickly. To not speak too much. This is a great reminder not to speak in judgment of another, especially of one. Who you could what? Disrupt their spiritual growth. Or yet someone who is spiritually weaker. Speaking ill of someone who is more spiritually mature. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was teaching on how a tree is known by its fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what does Jesus himself say? He says, I, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, I, forgive me, I work with words all day. Like that, that's what I do. I don't work with words. I like flunk math a long time ago. I'm like, leave it to the smart guys. I work with words. And I speak for a living. And I write for a living. So you don't think I, I give thought to every single careless word? And hey, I'm not the only one here because I've heard words from every single one of you. Just think for a moment. Just think for a moment of your word choice. Careless words, idle words. Impure words, empty words, unnecessary words. Just, just, just how many? They're, they're being counted. Just think of the tone by which 
You have used those words. Think of the attitude behind the words that came out. Think of your own arrogance for a moment. That God is not only completely just, but as he holds us accountable for every single idle word, we also hold on to the majesty of the gospel. He is still completely loving, being rich in mercy because of his great love. And so there's the tension that will never, ever go away. So we hold the responsibility, but we rest in the truth and rejoice that we do not, we do not need to be the judge. Now, very, very important caveat here. Please, please remember, yes, Jesus is the ultimate and the final judge. But understand, and you have to know the damage that has come as we have, what, been forced to live in an entire culture and a society that has taken one phrase and yanked it out of context and everything has been based upon what? We've heard it a thousand times, judge not, lest ye be judged. Whatever they want to do in order to make them happy. No, no, we don't live by taking something outside of context here. None of us are excused from the totality of Scripture, of speaking the truth in love. That does not mean that you're judging. It means that what? Excuse me, there's a red light. It's an absolute stop. That's not judging. That's being responsible with the truth of Scripture. Speaking truth into another believer's life. And we are to do this with great humility, gently and lovingly holding one another accountable to live lives so that we together keep in step with the Spirit. What does the Scripture say? Whoa, whoa, whoa to the one who is alone when he stumbles, when he falls. Paul concludes with a very familiar Old Testament quote. He uses it more than once. We know this from Philippians chapter 2. He quotes Isaiah chapter 45 in closing, verse 23, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. We must focus on what unites us as members of the body of Christ. For that, that is far more fundamental than what divides us, what unites us. Just as Paul is teaching both the Jewish and the Gentile believers, regardless of what one eats or doesn't eat, regardless of what day you choose to worship on or not, esteeming and honoring and worshiping the Lord, both of them have an intention, what? Of giving thanks to the Lord. Knowing what? That all things, life, death, present, future of all believers is under the control of Jesus who is the head of the church. It levels the playing field for us. One of us is not to be exalted over the other. Rather what? The Lord's death and the resurrection are our core convictions. I did a great job last week reminding us of of Moeller's theological triage, which helps us. And we, we rest on these what? What we call first-level issues, the deity of Christ. Sorry, it's not up for 
negotiation. Trinitarian theology. We believe in the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. Justification by faith alone. That's where we focus. So two things in closing, very quickly, and I know the next question is like, I don't know where I am on this. First of all, to those who are weak, do not judge the strong. You are to be received in your early stages of your faith, but what? Not to doubtful disputations. A general rule for what life is spend your energy on those things that you and all the people of God are agree upon and don't get involved and dispute about matters that are doubtful. It's endless. You'll just run that rabbit trail all day long, every day. It's endless. And to those who are strong spiritually, you've, you've been discipled and you have discipled others. That's how I very easily distinguish between someone who is weak in their faith, someone who is strong in their faith. Doesn't matter how long you've been sitting in a chair. Doesn't matter. If you've been discipled, you've walked through life together with a believer, and you've done that for someone else, it will put you in the category of one who is strong spiritually. First and foremost, you must never despise your weaker brother or weaker sister. Patiently listen to them. Listen to them. Love them. Pour yourself into them. Commit to a meaningful and maturing discipleship relationship. You understand that the enemy would love for us to focus on what? A thousand, thousand little concerns where the message of the gospel takes our attention and draws us to the Lord and allows all of those little things to just disappear I probably wouldn't um, close like this but, but like what's next like, what, what do we do because we, we know that there's a thousand preferences that are represented in this very room opinions we have many of them um, the psalmist David writes in Psalm 51 when he is confronted with his sin have mercy upon me O God a sinner You know what I would encourage you to do? Is to work on the confession of your sin. So so what I would invite you to do is after Matt closes us in that last song, grab a cup of coffee and come right back in here and and I'm going to focus on Psalm chapter 51. On Psalm chapter 51. And I love how God just allows this order to take place where we work on, Lord, please have mercy upon my soul. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's where the church needs to be as we seek to move forward for his glory. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your love for us. Bless us as we strive to be obedient and live in full accordance to your word, gladly submitting to your authority. But we commit, Lord, the fact that that we cannot do that in our own strength, in our own flesh. And so we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our lives now, even in this closing song that we would hear from you. Bless us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.